Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Friday, October 22nd edition of the Basement Academy. As we wrap up this week together and some reflections on evangelism or unlearning evangelism that we might be more faithful evangelists, I do want to begin with a morning psalm, which I think is a, an important one to have in our praying repertoire. It begins with this pouring out a complaint to God. And over the years as I've prayed this, I've come to realize that's the only place we're supposed to pour out our complaints. Instead of being a whiner and a complainer and a grumbler to all the people around me who can't do a whole lot about what I'm grumbling about, to pour out my complaint and, and my concern and my trouble to God. And so I love this. I love this psalm. And it was written by David. It's a, it's a prayer of David when he was in the cave, again, being chased, as I understand it, by Saul, uh, King Saul. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have head, hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Psalm 142. Pouring out our complaint, acknowledging before God, it feels like nobody, nobody cares for me. No one is concerned for my life. Thank you, Lord, for your compassion and care and knowing all of our troubles. Hear our complaints today. Amen. Okay, as we wrap up the week, I want to talk about emotional magnets. It, it kind of springs off of 1 Peter 3.15 that we are looking at yesterday about hope. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. Why do you have hope? And so this emotional magnet, hope is something that draws people's attention. And so I wanted to think broadly about emotional magnets. It may be a, a phrase that's new to you. I, I heard it some years ago. Honestly, can't recall who it was that talked about it. Uh, I would give attribution otherwise. Um, it's the notion that, that we're made in the image of God and we are, are, are made with an, an interior life. So we've got the physical outward life, um, our bodies, but we also have the spirit, the soul, the mind, the heart, you know, all of this interior life. And, and God has made us with these emotional capacities to be drawn towards or repelled from certain activities. So the fingernail on the chalkboard, cut that out. And so we have kind of a harsh emotional reaction. It sparks usually kind of a, hey, cut that out. Or, you know, uh, kids are running, hey, you kids, shut up, you know, and so loud noises and, you know, surprise things that, that, that you know, startle us. You know, we usually have a, an emotional reaction of negativity and we bark a little bit. We're, we're repelled from certain things, but we are drawn 
towards others. We're drawn towards people and groups that accept us, that, that offer us belonging. We're drawn towards excitement. You know, a crowd often draws a bigger crowd. What's everybody looking at? I don't know, but I'm looking. <laughs> and so, you know, you see people kind of running in a direction or moving in a direction. You kind of, hmm, I get a little curious. I want to see. So we get excited about that. Beauty. Uh, physical beauty, a sunset, a sunrise, a mountain, art, um, music, um, literature, um, dance, okay? So, so we're drawn to beauty. Um, different expressions of art, music, etc. will be attractive to others and not, you know, some, you know to, to different ones of us, but we are drawn in by beauty. We, we, we hunger uh, for that. Winners. <clears throat> the bandwagon effect. How do you explain it? You know, when the Washington Nationals, you know, started winning all those games, they were they were left for dead, you know, in 2019, in the middle of May, they had a losing record and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden they started to win, 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 and they won it all. And as the season goes on, more and more people start wearing their Washington Nationals gear. So the bandwagon effect. People love to associate with the winners. We're built to be connected to victory. Why, why is defeat? So, you know, we, we have the emotional magnet that rep, we're rep, repulsed. <laughs> we're repelled by, by, by uh, defeat. And we just, you know, we don't want to talk about it, you know, we, we, but we're drawn in and we keep talking about the big game and the big win. Um, goodness. We're drawn to goodness. Oh, the stories that just touch your heart and, you know, you get out your Kleenex and dab your eyes, you know, the child or the classroom of children who all cut off their hair because of their uh, bald classmate who's going through cancer treatments. Just telling the story, I almost want to choke up. You know, there's the, you know, people rescuing other people and animals and things like that. We're, we're drawn to stories of goodness. All these heroes in the COVID thing, all our nurses and ICU folks and doctors who are laboring to save lives. It's so inspiring. We're drawn towards that. The emotional magnet. Love. To love and be loved. We, you know, why, why do we pass the little child around, the newborn? We want to hold that child. We want to somehow, we've got love to give. And we remember those times when our own children were little and we were getting to pour out our hearts and our prayers and our blessings on them. And we're made for love. We're made to receive love. We're made to give love. Um, smiles, warmth, just we're drawn to people who just kind of are positive and smile. And so, you know, I, I think I've talked about this. I've, I've got a kind of a one-man campaign going on right now. Everywhere I drive, I just, I just, I just give a wave. It happened all the time out in the Midwest. In Kansas, when we lived there, oh, just, that's just how we lived, right? You just, hey, neighbor, you know, you might not know that person, but it's just a friendly, neighborly gesture. And so, you know, smiles and warmth. Um number of years ago, probably four or five years ago, uh, at one of our presbytery meetings, there was a kind of a church growth guy. He's a pastor out uh, in the Midwest. And uh, there was a particular study he was citing, and I, I can't recall it offhand right now, but why do people go back to a church? What is it that helps a newcomer connect, excuse me, to a church? It isn't the choir. It isn't the preaching for sure. <laughs> it, 
it isn't the building, it isn't the nursery, it isn't the parking lot, it isn't the youth group, all, though all of those factors are important, you know, they ranked somewhere on there. The number one reason people chose to go back to a church was warmth, friendliness. Of all the, all the respondents that, you know, they, they were given opportunities, that was the number one. It said, you want your church to grow? Just be friendly. <laughs> and, and, and I thought, you know, I think that's, that's probably the secret sauce for Greenwich, right? We're not perfect at it. You know that. But many who come bear witness. And then they, to this, you know, they, they get involved in the life of the church. They go through the membership class. And, you know, when did you start coming? We usually do a, how long you've been here and what, what got you here and what made you come back. And usually it's something along the lines of, I just found the people so friendly. I was greeted warmly and, you know, somebody remembered my name or something like that. And so anyway, emotional magnets were drawn in. Well, hope is such an emotional magnet. There was something powerful about hope. It is magnetic. It draws us. A person who is positive, a person who, who looks at life with, with, a, with a positive, favorable understanding and, hey, we're going to be okay. This thing's going to work out all right. Hey, it looks tough now. There's different ways you might describe that. God uses hope to draw people to himself. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have. Hope, is, that's the hook. That, that's the emotional hook. Somebody notices, what is it about you? Why? Why do you view life the way you do? And then answer them. Give a reason for that. Be ready to give an answer to that question, okay? The kind of one way I'll describe it in, in kind of non-theological terms is very simply, hope is that sense that all will be well, that I'm going to be okay, that things are going to work out, that this too shall pass, that the future is is brighter than we think right that the appearances are, are not the whole story what's going on now in my life what's going now in our family what's going on now in this situation what's going on now in our world is not the whole story there's something else at work hope is essentially grounded the person of hope knows that god is <laughs> God is. It's, it's, this isn't like the, you know, the philosophers questioning the existence of God. A person of hope just has this confidence. God exists. God is, and God is involved. God is at work. God is engaged. God is doing something here. That's the language of hope. And so a lot of times when I try to be that hopeful person, but pastorally what I'll do when I'm sitting with someone in a crisis of some sort, and there, it's hard for them to be hopeful because of the news, the situation, the, the, the crisis, the trial they're in. Mostly all I'm trying to do is to somehow wedge in a little ray of hope. 
I wonder what God is doing in this situation. <laughs> you know, and I try to do it in a somewhat of a folksy, ah, shucksy manner. I wonder what God is doing. Implied in that is that God is doing something. We just don't know what it is. And I think I wanted to invite that wonder, to invite that curiosity, to invite that perspective that in the midst of this uh, crisis or trial, God is still in charge. God is still on the throne. God is still God. God is shaping something here, okay? So I'm just trying to give a ray of hope so that person can keep pressing on because we can't live without hope. We cannot live without hope. Despair is kind of that deepest human emotion that, 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 that just, when life collapses, when we despair, we cannot see any way that, this, that life could be good again. And sadly, this is, you know, suicide is, is rooted in, in despair. That they can't picture, a person can't picture any other outcome this is the only outcome available to. There's no other path available to. There's no other possibility. They can't picture that something might be at work, you know, despite appearances. So Christian hope, my friends, is not grounded in the things of this world. Okay. And I've put up on the whiteboard several um, entities. Christian hope is not grounded in politics or our government. As important as politics and elections and governmental realities are, our hope, our confidence, our all will be well is not grounded in a political outcome. Now, politics and elections suck us in through the emotional magnet of promises of a, of a better future, um, of a crowd that draws a crowd, you know, put this sign in your yard and that'll start to get the bandwagon of more people getting excited about our candidate. Would you do that for us? You know, so, so elections work off of the emotional magnets, but they are not hope. Okay. They, 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 uh, they, they, it's false hope, right? It's false hope that politics and governments are offering of us of solutions to human problems that, that ultimately they cannot solve. Um, we do not place our hope in science and technology, in our ability as humans to figure out, you know, ways to cure death and to cure all things or um, these social justice movements to dismantle racism, you know, with the language of our, of our presbytery. We can't dismantle racism. Sad, that, that our, our hope is not in our social justice activities. As important as those are, as important science and technology, as important as the economy is, we don't place our hope in the economy. There's going to be economic cycles up and down, and we don't, you know, uh, uh, the, the stock market's going up and up and up, and so I place my, my hope and my trust in the stock market because my portfolio is going up now. That's false hope because it can just as easily go down, right? Um, our hope is not grounded in the military as necessary as the military is. Our hope is not grounded in the institutional church. Uh, for those who may be listening on the podcast, I've got all these listed on the whiteboard. Uh, the institutional church will always ultimately fail because it becomes about its own preservation. It's sad, uh, you know, and our denomination, other denominations, you know, 
we're, we're dissatisfied. I'm dissatisfied with much going on in the Presbyterian Church USA. Uh, we may realign at some point, you know, that may be a necessary thing to get connected to a different Presbyterian Church that's a little more conservative in its, its theology and outlook. But even then, our hope isn't in a denomination, in an institution. Pfft, no, because institutions ultimately always seek to preserve themselves and, you know, will will not care for the people. Um, so Christian hope is grounded somewhere else. Uh, I remind you of the context of um, our first Peter 3.15 reading. It's suffering. Do not return evil for evil, insult for insult. People will speak maliciously against you. You may have to suffer for doing good. But always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. The context of hope, the emotional magnet that is lifted up there, this that's the attractive quality. They're going to ask you for a reason for the hope you have, so they see hope in you, and it's in the context of suffering. It's in the context of trial. It's in the context of the world is not going well for you. How do you possibly hold your head high and walk as you do. And you're thinking, well, Don, actually in my life, nobody has ever once asked me that question. Hey, Bob, can you give me a reason for the hope you have? Well, Bob, I'm with you. Nobody has ever asked me that question in those words. I will acknowledge that. Now, two responses. One, where is your hope? It could be that you haven't been asked the question because you are not a hope-filled person. You may be, sadly, as our psalm, <laughs> you may be a complainer, a whiner, a grumbler. I, I, I'm, I don't know who's listening, and who, so I'm not trying to paint anybody with a brush, but I know I'm that complainer, whiner, grumbler plenty of times. And complaining, whining, and grumbling never, never draws people to see hope in you. Never. There's not, it, it is antithetical to hope. So I pour out my complaint to God. I pour out my trouble to God so that I can live. I know I've, I've poured it out to him. I'm going to live here now with a confidence that God heard my prayer and is at work. And that's what that Psalm reflects, right? So it may be that you are not a hope-filled person. I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm just saying that, that, that you may have fallen prey to the false hopes that our world is always offering. Politics offers false hope. Governments offer false hope. Economies offer false hope. Science and technology and alike offer false hope. I'm not saying these are unnecessary realities. They are not enduring realities. Hope must be grounded in an enduring reality. Uh, as the writer of Hebrews says, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come, whose architect and builder is God. And so ultimately, we hold the things of this world lightly. And that's where the hope can begin to be seen. So let me try to role play a couple things. And this leads to the second. I've never been asked the question either. I think I'm a hopeful person. But maybe it's that we haven't, 
we haven't found the ears to hear when the question is coming to us in different words, okay? So let's take one from the political realm, okay? Election year, last year, election year this year, gubernatorial election in a couple weeks. Everybody gets stirred up and the tendency is, you know, you're either, mostly we spend time with our own political tribe and folks are kind of like, I can't believe we've got to get the vote out. We've got to, you know, if we don't win this election, all is lost. You know, it's kind of that rhetoric and that emotional um, energy that, that, that we run into in election cycles. And so to role play, if you get in that kind of conversation, say, you know, I do care about the election, but you know, somehow I've got this sense that even if it doesn't go the way I want, keep it personal, doesn't go the way I want, I'm going to be okay. What do you mean you're going to be okay? That right there is asking you to give a reason for the hope you have. You saying, I'm going to be okay if the outcome isn't what I want. Okay, so that's the context, suffering, trial. Okay, I'm going to be okay. That's the hopeful statement. I think I'm going to be okay, even if it, it doesn't turn out the way I want. And them saying, what do you mean it's going to be okay? That's, give me a reason for the hope you have. Because you have hope, you have confidence it's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. In that ultimate sense, God is guiding us. God is with us. God is present to us. God is providing and comforting. And so you say something like, well, this may sound strange. And I'm sorry, I maybe have never shared this with you before, but it may sound really strange, but I'm a Christian. And as a Christian, I have promises that my savior has given me in the scripture. And I have found those promises to be good and right and true. He has proved himself to me so many times in my life. And, and he promises to be with me always, no matter what. And so I know I'm going to be okay. And I don't know what that sounds like to you, but, but that is why I kind of hold this election a little lightly, you know? So all of that's role play. Okay. Take one uh, from the economy, okay? Economic downturn. People are, ah, you know, can you believe, you know, Congress did this or the president did that and the stock market is down. Ah, and you say, you know, well, it, it is a little pinched right now and we're probably gonna, you know, push out a vacation. We're not going out to eat as much as we used to. But I just have a sense that I'm gonna be okay even though, Things are really tight right now. What do you mean you're going to be okay? Don't you understand that what Congress did is going to harm our economy and harm you? Well, I know, I know there's kind of outcomes there, but I just think I'm going to be okay. So I'm going to be okay is the statement of hope. What do you mean you're going to be okay if they pass this legislation or don't pass this legislation or the economy stays in the, in the gutter. Well, I'm still role-playing. <laughs> well, this may sound a little strange, but as a Christian, I have promises. God promises to provide for me. There's this 
funny, cool story from the Old Testament when God gave them bread in the midst of the desert called manna. You may have heard about that, but I have just seen God provide for me in other times in my life, you know, when I was in college and when I was a young married and I just saw God come through when things were financially tight. I just, I don't know. I just think that's what's going to be But as a Christian. I, so I don't know how that sounds to you, but, but that's, that's how I see this. So you have just given them a reason for the hope you have. The I'm going to be okay when the world is freaking out is the thing that draws attention. And then the question, what do you mean we're gonna, you're going to be okay? That's the, give me a reason. Final illustration would come from uh, medical. You get some news or a family member gets some news or a loved one dies and there's sorrow, there's concern. And people sometimes don't know what to say. And you kind of put them at ease and say, you know, I, I know you all, you, you all heard about the news we got. Um, and, and it is a concern. And, you know, we're not looking forward to what's getting ready to go on here. But I just think I'm going to be okay as we walk through this thing. I don't know. I just, I just think you're just going to be so. I can't imagine how you're going to be okay. This is just this overwhelming news to me. I can't even. Well, this may sound strange, but, but I'm a Christian, and and I have promises. <laughs> in the Bible that God has given me and I have seen him care for me and comfort me and be there for me. And there's a promise of resurrection that if this does not turn out, you know, well, I know that even, even after the grave, I get to live, <laughs> that there's resurrection. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. And I, I know that may sound strange to you, but as a Christian, that's how I'm able to hang in in this. Could I ask you to pray for me that I would stay strong in my faith as, as I go through this trial? Okay, that's all role play. Three role plays. Politics, economy, and medical stuff. What are the big three that most people grumble and complain about and whine about? It's politics, it's the economy, and then it's family uh, trials, dynamics, and obviously health. And so anyway, may God give us ears to hear the questions it's, I'm going to be okay. What do you mean you're going to be okay? That's the question. And it may come in different forms, I realize. And then I had the same answer. Did you hear that? I had the same answer in all three situations. Say something disarming. I know this sounds kind of strange. It's acknowledging that people don't do a lot of Christian witness. Okay, so I know this is going to sound kind of strange, but I'm a Christian and I have some very precious promises uh, in the Bible that I have seen God uh, prove faithful to over the years in his provision, in his care, etc. You speak to it. You might quote him a line, you know, God, God promises that, uh, that his mercies will be new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. You say those words or something like those words, and that's all you got to do. That's giving an answer to someone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. The reason I have hope is because of Jesus Christ and his precious and very great promises. That's the reason. And I've got no other reason to have hope right now. 
Okay. I'm telling you, I look at the world. I look at the economy. I look at politics. I look at the cultural tsunami. I look at woke. I look at all that. I have no reason for hope except Jesus Christ and his precious and very great promises. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this opportunity to reflect upon the reason for our hope. Our Lord Jesus Christ and his precious and very great promises. Make these to come alive afresh and give us strength in these days ahead that our witness and our hope may help to draw others uh, to the Savior. We ask this in his name, even as he taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the God of the kingdom and the power and the glory and of hope, the God of hope, strengthen you with all hope this day and forevermore. Amen.